0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Road to Medical Sales podcast brought to you by Legacy Now Coaching. It is our mission to impact as many lives as possible. Do us a favor, and if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review so we can grow and help more people. Before we dive into the details of this episode, really quick if you are trying to break into medical sales, go to legacynowcoaching.org. Click the option to either set up a 30 minute call with me. Or click Break Into Medical Sales to check out our six-module video coaching program designed to break you into medical sales. We have broken in over 350 people into the medical sales world. And great news. For our fall special, the program has been recently discounted by 50% up until December 31st, 2022. So don't wait. The average medical sales rep, according to medreps.com, makes $172,000 a year. I personally know reps that make five hundred dollars to $700,000 a year. Make the investment to go through my program and change your life. Navigate to LegacyNowCoaching.org. Today, we welcome Dr. Woodruff to the podcast. Dr. Woodruff was born in Arkansas. He completed his residency at both Louisiana State University and Ochsner Medical Center. From there, Dr. Woodruff completed a robotic and minimally invasive urologic oncology fellowship at the Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. After finishing his fellowship, he moved to Northwest Arkansas, where he practiced until 2012, serving as the director of robotic surgery at Northwest Medical Center. Shortly after that, he moved to the desert with his family and now has his own practice called Woodruff Urology in Mesa, Arizona. Go check it out. He is a devoted husband and proud father of four amazing children. When he is not practicing urology, he can be found spending time with his children at school functions, dance recitals, or sporting events. With that being said, we are extremely excited to hear Dr. Woodruff's story and find out what he looks for in a good medical sales rep. Let's dive right into it. Why did you decide to go into urology? Well,
1: you know, as a young child, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. So, because of that, I took a job in the hospital as an orderly at a young age. And one of my best friend's dads was a general surgeon in town. And this was back in the day when those guys could do whatever they wanted. And he would page me over the loudspeaker in the hospital whenever he had something really cool in the OR. And I would get to go in and like scrub in as like a 17 year old. No kidding. Yeah. And see the coolest stuff. And I remember thinking, man, this is, this is otherworldly. This is so cool. So then I went to med school and didn't know what I wanted to do and always been intrigued by cancer and wanted to treat cancer. And urology is a field in which the cancers are mainly surgical cancers. In other words, not so much chemotherapy and radiation, although those do have a role, uh, they're largely surgical. So in addition to that, urologists tend to lead the field of medicine in technology and I was intrigued by robotics and laparoscopic surgery and things like that. So it just melded for me to be, uh, I wanted to be very specific in what I did because I wanted to be able to stay good at it and not be too broad. So be very specific, very focused. So it came down between ENT and urology, which are two opposites, obviously. Yep. And I didn't like tracheotomies. They bothered me. I chose urology and uh, it has been great.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So what has been the most rewarding part about it for you?
1: it's rewarding to have a patient who you meet and guide through treatment of a cancer and they have a good outcome and you can tell that you really changed theirs and their family's lives. And, you know, I don't need to be thanked, but it is rewarding when a patient's wife or her husband will say, thank you so much. It really means a lot. So that's probably the most rewarding.
0: I love that going on the other end of the spectrum. How would you quickly define a good medical sales rep? I think
1: in life, the three A's are super important. And I know you've heard of those, right? Ability, availability, and affability. And I think those are the three things that everybody can carry forward and use. But to me, I've always been taught all my mentors that didn't even know one another constantly would say your availability is your most important asset. When you get there and you are available, you have to do it right. But availability is huge.
0: How can a sales rep hinder your patient care? I think
1: by not being available or by specifically by saying, okay, we have surgery at seven and then they show up at eight. Orthopedics is very different than urology. And our, our relationship with our reps is very different than what you guys do. But having someone that you can rely on is good. And then the opposite, not being able to rely on them they're going to lose your business 100% of the time.
0: Absolutely. But how can they aid in the patient care?
1: I think the availability, like, like I said, but I think really owning the knowledge concept of your product, really owning it, not having some thing you read before you walked into the OR and quoting it off, really owning what you have. So like for me, if it's AmnioFix and we're using that embryologic in the prosthetic bed, I want to be able to ask any question I have about the product and have the rep be able to say, this is this and answer it, or at least get their hands on an answer. You know, it's okay to say, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Let me make a quick phone call and I'll tell you what the answer is. So I think knowledge, owning the knowledge of your product is super important.
0: That takes many hours of studying. Showing up without knowledge is not good. I couldn't agree more. And then what is the best and most respectful way for a sales rep to present information to you about a new product per se?
1: I think it's important to realize that as a rep, the doctors that you're calling on are time constrained. And I think you have to respect that. I'm super pro rep. My brother's an ortho rep and I love reps. Most of the doctors I work with are not as pro rep, but when someone shows up and you're busy, don't take it personally right? It's not because they don't want to see you or don't care about your product or any of that stuff. It's because they're time constrained. So to come in with a humble, you know, attitude and posture, and it's okay to say, Hey, you have a minute. And then if the answer is no, it's okay to come back around and say, Hey, can we revisit this? And I think if you're persistent in a humble way, I think that's a, a great way to get my attention. And then, like I said, know your product and be willing to be pliable. You make yourself available when the doctor's available. This is all about relationships, right? That's what really everything is. But for me with a rep, the reps that have made a point to have a relationship with me, it goes beyond just work. And so then you have a respectful relationship. Once you have a respectful relationship, you can bring up anything, anytime. The door's open, right? And so you just, anything they need, anything they want, they text me, they call me all the time. And it's great. And we're in a great relationship. And those guys then help me because there's a new product and let's talk about it. I got a text from an Olympus rep last week. Hey, I got this new thing. Let me come by your office and let's talk. Sure. Come on by. He came by. I mean, told me all about this new thing. I'm going to start using it. So yeah, it's all about relationships, I think.
0: But it takes time to earn that respect. And I like what you said about humble persistence, humble persistence,
1: showing up, being there, having the knowledge and building relationship and you're going to be in like Flynn.
0: That's one of my biggest things too. It's whenever you go into that conversation, you're bringing value, whether it's helping to prepare for a surgery coming up or bringing a new product that could potentially help your patient outcomes. That's
1: exactly right. Well said. From my experience, the things that have lost my trust is dishonesty. If you say, yeah, this or that and this or that, and then it's not that, wow, that's Done. And then not being available.
0: No, it's important. Yeah. And then same thing, right? A lot of people don't realize that reps are sometimes present in the operating room. And so they are standing in the operating room sometimes, and you're turning around asking them a question about a product. If they're dishonest in that situation, there's a patient under the table. That's a really serious atmosphere.
1: Super serious. And I would say too, to add to that, I think another thing for OR people who are going to be in the OR... Reps in the OR need to realize that they need to be very kind and friendly and humble to the staff. I have had several reps that come in and they kind of big boy the the circulator or the scrub nurse. That is the fastest way to make people angry. It doesn't bother me other than seeing you're not kind, and that's negative for me, but your life is so much easier if those guys like you. Yeah, it's like being mean to the janitor. Yeah, you have to be nice to everyone. And why wouldn't you be, right? Why wouldn't you be? But it's amazing how frequently that happens. That happens a lot, more than I would have ever guessed before I got into medicine, that people come in and they're rude. And man, I mean, you're there to serve, So be subservient. You know, I'm there to serve. I try to be subservient to the staff and kind. No one likes someone who's not nice. (laughs) It shows
0: who you are at the core
1: too. It does. It really does reflect who you really are.
0: So from a doctor's point of view, any final words for sales reps out there who are just trying to make a good reputation for themselves?
1: I'm really happy and proud that you're doing this. I think it's fantastic. I think this is such a nice tool because like we talked about, my brother's a rep and he had me, and he could call me and say, Hey, I'm, what, what do I do about this? And I could tell him because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm nine years older than him, but this is a great implement for people to use. And I would say that, you know, like we've already kind of covered being kind, being available, using your resources, network. If I were starting as an orthopedic rep tomorrow, the first thing I would do is I would, you know, try to find any orthopedic rep in my, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever, and network and talk to them and learn, try to learn from someone else's experience, I think is very, would be very helpful. And I think like we talked about earlier, I think emotional intelligence is so important and you just really have to read your client, which is your doctor. Read the OR room, read the pre op area, read the post op area, pay attention to what people are doing, know when to talk, know when to be quiet. And I think if you can do those things and be available and be kind, then you're going to rock it.
0: That's spot on. I'm going to circle back to what you said a little bit earlier about reaching out to different reps that are in the territory to find out how they do it and how they present themselves in the OR and just learning from them, taking them on as mentors. It's very similar to how. Maybe you went through fellowship, right? Looking at the doctor that you were training under, asking them for advice, you know, maybe still relying upon them when you first start out to just talk to them about what's working, what's not, and to get their advice, right? It's a whole community.
1: It's a community. And that's the way that I see it is a community. I don't see it as I'm the doctor, you're a nurse, you're a rep, we're all here together. You have your role, I have my role, but we're a team. My philosophy has always been, and this may be good and it may not be, I don't know, but my philosophy has been, I show up, I make my top lip touch my bottom lip, and I watch. (laughs) And then afterwards, I ask questions and try to identify someone who's successful, who you admire already, and ask them if you can shadow them, ask them if you can spend time with them. Then when you're in a place like an OR setting, that's when you watch and listen at first. And then after you can ask questions, and that's a great way to really learn your place and your role and how to do it correctly.
0: I love that. I've always said, you know, listen for 90% of the time, Mm -hmm. talk for 10% of the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. We're changing the pace a little bit. What is your funniest story that you have from your time (laughs) in practice? So I have a lot of funny
1: stories that are probably not appropriate for this podcast because they're very penis centric. Understandable. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not going to tell any of those, but you have to have a sense of humor to be a urologist. You just have to. <laughs> and so I had a buddy, a really good friend, great guy. I have four kids. He has four kids. Met him as soon as I got here, his wife and my wife, good friends. Had known him for a few years. Hanging out one night. He's like, I want a vasectomy. I'm like, okay, fine. Come on to the office. So I'm like, I'm going to mess with him. Right? So when we do vasectomies, guys, you know, have their pants off. They're laying on the table. well, it's a very vulnerable position. So, I was leaving for work that morning and my wife was like, what are you doing with those gardening shears? I'm like, I'm taking these to the office. I, <laughs> I didn't tell her what I was doing with them. So he walks in and I, I'd set this whole thing up with my MA, my medical assistant. And I had these gardening shears sitting, I'd sterilized them and put them on a, a on the sterile field. And he walked in, takes his pants and he said, what's that? I was like, Oh, these are, uh, these are scrotum clamps that we only have to use if someone's in at risk of bleeding to death from a vasectomy. And he was like, okay. So as he gets down, I start the vasectomy. You have two vas deferens. I did the first side. And then my medical assistant, as planned, comes in. She's like, Dr. Woodruff, you have a patient in the hospital that's bleeding. You need to come immediately. So I'm like, sorry, man, I've got to go. I'll be back as soon as I can. So I leave knowing I'm going to come back. And I waited about five minutes and had her go back in and say, I'm sorry, sir, but he's had to go to the hospital and we're probably going to have to use the clamps. (laughs) <laughs> if he's not back in five minutes, we're gonna to have to put the clamps on. So, anyway, long story. I've drawn this out. He was the nicest guy about it. I can't, I finally came back in. And I was like, "Hey, man, I was just messing with you." He had texted his wife, like, "Hey, I'm worried about this patient who's bleeding." So nice, but it was hysterical. He was freaking out. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's funny to anybody else, but
0: I that's thought was, hilarious. I thought it was funny. Yeah. You but have a little fun with it, but
1: he was a really good sport about it. Yeah. And then after I did it, I actually kind of felt bad, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, it was fun. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Dr. Woodruff. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: My pleasure as well. Thank you so much, Scott, for having Thanks. me.
0: Thanks, man. I am going to take off as we will after every episode with a very sincere thank you for tuning in and a few words to carry along with you for the rest of the day. Wilma Rudolph once said, Never underestimate the power of dreams and influence on the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us.